welcome to the Forsters Northern Law Podcast. I'm Miri Stickland, Knowledge Development Lawyer in the Commercial Real Estate Team, and I'm joined today by Anna Mullins, who's a Senior Associate in our Property Litigation Team, and Louise Irvin, who's also a Knowledge Development Lawyer in Commercial Real Estate, and all round Wayleaves guru. Oh. <laughs> Whether she, she wants honor. to be honor. That's what I've always aspired to be. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the somewhat controversial electronic communications code. So I might start off by asking you both how it's made your life in- more interesting over the last couple of years. <laughs> well, it's certainly kept me busy over the last two years. Um, I think it's quite fun acting on um, cases where you've got new legislation actually because it's been quite interesting advising on something that's still being tested through the courts. Um, So the Electronic Communications Code has been around for just over two years now. It came into force at the end of 2017 um, and the aim was very much in favour of operators and making it easier and quicker to get telecoms um, equipment installed um, and hoping to keep it on the property in order to make connectivity just generally easier all round. In terms of masks, I think it has had that effect, but in the day-to-day ways that I deal with a lot uh, for our clients tends to be um, internet connections in buildings and those kind of ways we're actually finding take a lot longer to negotiate under the new code um, just due to the different rights that operators have and and sort of testing out the new form really. And from my perspective it has been sort of a litigator's dream as well because we've (laughs) had a lot more cases through the court. The code was meant to simplify the old code uh, which we had used for many many years but hadn't been tested through the court system in recent years but what's actually happened is whilst in theory parts of it are simpler we have actually had 10 decisions of the upper tribunal in the first two years of the code coming into force. We've had two court of appeal decisions and we've got two coming from the Supreme Court very soon. So whilst it's very, very helpful to get some clarity on the code, it's also been very, very interesting and kept me quite busy for the past two years as well. Do you think it's a sort of flurry of activity because it's testing new statutory provisions? Absolutely. I think it The initial cases have been testing certain provisions, but I think, I can't see a slowdown, I feel like the type of cases are going to change, but I still think that there will be cases to come on the code, and perhaps we can talk about that a bit later. Yeah, and we were, certainly the word on the street when it first came out was that operators were going to take a hard stance in taking things to tribunal as much as possible to try and test and get some clarity, and and obviously connectivity is so vital to tenants now that I think it's, it's only going to become a hotter issue for everybody, I think. Anna, can you contract out of the code? Sadly not. So our developer landlord clients will be not too happy about that, I imagine. But sadly, there are provisions in the code which say that it cannot be contracted out of. There are certain agreements, generally agreements that are currently ongoing or were ongoing pre-December 2017, where the code may or may not apply, but any new agreements that are being entered into in respect of any telecommunications kit will have to comply with the code. And does it have to be an operator who's within the code or would it apply to all operators? So no, you're right, good good point to raise there, Miri. It is (laughs) just um, operators who are on the Ofcom website, so want to check that if your operator does not appear on that list, then you're outside of the scope of the code. And it's quite the list, though. There's, there are a lot of names on it. But you, you do need to check it all the time because new subsidiaries are being added all the time. So where we are within the code, what sort of way leave, what form of way leave are you guys seeing uh, coming into use? 
Um, so very, very much depends on which clients we're acting for. Um, some of our clients have negotiated upfront forms of way leave with the different operators just to make it easier to roll out through their buildings and we've helped with that. So that's, that's always really good because you've got something there to put in place with each new tenant. Um, we are using um, a form of way leave that we've adapted from the City of London Law Society, the CLLS form of way leave, um, which they introduced in September 2018 in response to the new code. And the idea behind that was that you'd have a standardised form of industry approved way leave that could just be rolled out each time they consulted with various operators and landowners to try and get a, um, a bespoke agreement in place. So we have slightly adapted that to suit our clients and our firm standards as all lawyers tend to do, um, but it is largely based on that. And so is that sort of the case across the board that you're seeing the CLLS way leave used frequently but with sort of adaptations? Yes, the trouble is the adaptations. So operators are used to seeing it um, and most of them are happy to use it, although there are a few operators that we're seeing distancing themselves from it slightly because they're not so happy with the provisions. Um, but yes, on the whole, that's the form we see. The trouble is that as we've done, everybody tends to then adapt it. So where we've made changes, other tenants' lawyers will make their own changes. Operators then ask for their things and it does start to become quite a different beast to what the CLLS intended originally. Yeah. So what are some of the key sticking points that you're finding when you are negotiating away leave? Um, so obviously it depends on whether we're talking code or non-code. Where it's non-code, it's completely up to the parties to commercially negotiate, as you would any normal license for works or um, deed of easement. Um, but with the code way leaves, um, one thing that we still will push back on is in interaction with the code and how um, successors in title should be bound. Because um, mm -hmm. our clients typically would want to grant a new way leave on any assignment or any new tenancy, whereas actually the code does say that successors in title um, should just be bound by the the way leave code rights and so strictly speaking when a tenant assigns or underlets that that way leave agreement should just flow through into the successor in title so okay. we do have some pushback on operators as to how we're dealing with successors in title and what about um, adding in extra apparatus after the way leave's been granted? Well, that's one of the really interesting things about the new code and where it really differs from like a typical license for works that you'd have. So the code does allow for the upgrading of apparatus, which includes adding in new apparatus um, without the need to have the landowner's consent. So that is quite a different um, top sort of idea for landowners to get their heads around, really. Um, and it's not 100% clear how much upgrading would be allowed. Um, so basically under the code, as long as no additional burden is placed on the other parties to the agreement, then, then free upgrading is completely permissible. Uh, so really you look at whether the other party's use of the land is adversely affected by what the operator is proposing to do. So would that involve stripping out what they've already put in and then putting sort of new upgraded equipment rather than being able to kind of um, increase the amount of equipment? Because you can imagine that would be a real issue in a multi-let building where you've got kit coming in from multiple tenants. Absolutely, and I think from, a, again, a litigator's perspective, it's one that we're going to see more court action on what exactly is upgrading, especially with 5G coming in as well. And I think it will depend, as you say, whether it's a multi-let building, whether it's a mast on a roof, but I think that is something to watch this space on, that we haven't yet had that practical side um, be tested yet as to what upgrading is. But I think those questions are all very valid and things that our clients, both sort of developers and tenants, will be concerned about. Yeah. And in terms of being able to relocate the apparatus, presumably 
uh, landlords will still have that right in the event that they want to redevelop. Yes, we still put those rights into the, into the um, way leave agreements, and that's in the CLLS as well. Um, and obviously, the cost of that tends to be um, as you negotiate between the parties, the typical kind of lift and shift provisions. Um, but again, you still have to bear in mind that you are um, stuck with what the code says. So time frames for serving notices and getting equipment removed still need to stay in place. Um, and obviously, the um, operator can object and apply to the tribunal if they don't want to, to relocate. If they don't think it's a suitable new location for them so you just have to bear in mind that there are those factors to be considered and assignment by the operator we've touched on assignment where um, it's a new tenant but what about if the operator um, wants to assign their rights so this is one of the things that got me or and Anna anyone else that's a massive geek quite excited about when the, when the new code <laughs> came into place sorry Anna I'll speak to right. myself here. Um, but yes so the code does allow for operators to freely assign the agreement provided it's to another code operator and um, there you cannot have any attempt to prevent or restrict this in your weight leave agreement if you do it will be void under the code so you there is no real fetter on assignment as long as I say it is to a code operator we tried literally to think about having a financial standing test or typical sort of lease assignment provisions but unfortunately the code doesn't allow for any of those at all so that is something that clients do need to bear in mind um, when they're granting these weight leaves and the only thing the code does allow you to have is a guarantee agreement whereby the outgoing operator will guarantee the performance by their assignee of the weight leave obligations um, so we do have that in our way leave as a standard provision where we differ slightly is that the the code and the CLLS don't have an agreed form of guarantee agreement so there isn't a kind of authorized guarantee agreement type uh, document floating around but we have come up with a standard form that we annex to our way leave agreements which on the whole operators seem fairly happy to accept and what about um, sort of sharing the rights that, that they have under the way leave? Is that something, do they have to kind of, do operators completely divest themselves or can they potentially share with other operators? Yes, they're allowed to share as well under the code. So assignment, sharing, all permitted. Again, it cannot be conditional. Um, so the landlord cannot put any preconditions on such sharing or assignment. So exactly the same as assignment, sadly. Landlord clients cannot do anything to stop operators from sharing. We've talked sort of briefly about redevelopment and you talked about the time frames um, for that. Can we talk a bit about how you would go about terminating um, a code agreement? Yes, so this is something that's really important for our developer clients to bear in mind because the time frames are really quite long underneath the new code. Um, It's basically 18 months notice to terminate a code agreement um, and that's on, on one of four different grounds that you have to specify when you want to terminate and the code is very strict on that so again any attempt to deviate from that could will potentially be void underneath the code um, so you can serve um, on four grounds that's either substantial breach of the way leave by the operator uh, persistent delay by the operator in making payments um, typically a lot of our telecoms way leaves don't involve any payments at all but some of the mast type agreements obviously will do the one that we quite often see for our clients is that the grantor wants to redevelop all or part of its land and so needs the agreement to come to an end because it can't relocate and the fourth test that we haven't really seen much of is that the court test for imposing a way leave wouldn't be met um, but I won't go into too much detail here because we don't we haven't seen that one as much for our clients no matter which of those grounds it is even if it's breached by the operator you still have to serve 18 months notice to bring it to an end wow okay yeah, so I it's mean, pretty hard so that's yeah so how are developer clients kind of reacting to that in practice again it's a difficult one and there is there is a possibility of granting interim code rights and 
perhaps one for another uh, <laughs> podcast, because that's a whole beast of its own. Trying to turn this into a series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if anyone does have any questions on interim code rights, do get in touch. But that is possibly one way round the longer notice period. But in terms of developer clients, and again, this has been something that has been tested in the courts, in terms of the intention to redevelop, EE Limited actually took a case to the tribunal on that and they have decided that the landlord and tenant at 1954 arguments to satisfy ground F do now apply to that redevelopment ground under the code. So that's quite helpful um, for landlord clients because we know how ground F works although there has been a recent development with another case on the 1954 Act, which has changed that slightly for Grand F, but essentially the intention test is the same as under the 1954 Act, so at least that gives landlord clients some comfort that if they are planning to redevelop and need to get protected 1954 Act tenants out, that same test will be applicable and can be cross-transferred to operators. So Anna, can you talk us through um, what the case would be in respect of way leaves granted before um, the code came into force? You mentioned the magical date of December 2017 earlier. So yes, uh, the 28th of December 2017 was the key date and the key date that you need to look at. But any agreements that were in force at that time will be subject to the new code, but possibly with some modifications. One thing to flag for our landlord clients in particular though, that some of the provisions that Louise mentioned earlier, such as sharing, assignment, upgrading, all those restrictions that apply to new code agreements do not apply retrospectively. So that's some comfort for landlord clients. In respect of the 18-month rule that Louise also mentioned earlier, that may or may not apply, which is unhelpful, uh, but again, good for the lawyers. So if you have any concerns, do uh, give us a shout. Actually, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, It may be possible that shorter time period applies, and also, as I mentioned earlier, it could be that the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954 applies to those subsisting agreements as opposed to the new code. So it's one to consider because it will affect development strategies, etc. So worth exploring further if you've got a way leave predating that date. While while you're on a roll, Anna, do you want to talk to us about recent case law? I know you've been itching to talk us through. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Yeah, as I say, it's something that's given me and many of my team members much excitement over the past couple of years. Um, (laughs) We are very sad. Um, But first of all, the big difference is we've sort of talked about court and tribunal sort of perhaps interchangeably, and that's because recently, or under the new code, all disputes in relation to the telecoms code have to start in the upper tribunal. That's different to how it was before, but it means we've got a great sort of knowledge base and the people deciding the cases know the code inside and out. So it's really great and they are running through them very, very quickly and we're getting high turnarounds of decisions. So that's been brilliant. As I mentioned though, sometimes people haven't been so happy with the tribunal's decision. So we've had court of appeal cases and we are waiting for Supreme Court judgments as well. So it's all very, very exciting. I mentioned earlier that there had been 10 upper tribunal cases. I won't go through 
all of them, you will be pleased to know. Um, Just pick out your favourite ones. I'll pick out a few of them and some of the uh, Court of Appeal decisions as well. So the first case I wanted to talk about was Cornerstone Telecommunications Infrastructure Limited. And just as an aside, Cornerstone have been very keen to test the code and they have been involved in a lot of the cases going that we have seen in the past. And that first case was against University of London. That's one of the cases that has gone to the Court of Appeal and is very relevant for our clients because it relates to the ability for telecoms operators to enter onto a property to establish whether or not that property is suitable for the operator's needs. It's known as a multi-skilled visit or an MSV for us, you know, cool telecoms kids. <laughs> um, if you, That's an oxymoron. <laughs> uh, but if you hear reference to an MSV, that is what it's about. But essentially what the courts have decided in that case is that the code does apply to these visits for operators. So if any of our landowner clients do get approached by an operator it is more likely than not that the operator will be able to access the landowner's land to see whether the land is suitable. Okay, and, and again, that ties in with the whole ethos of the code, really. So it's trying to get internet connectivity available to everybody as quickly and freely as possible. So they don't want landowners trying to hold operators hostage or fetter the ability to get this equipment in place. So whilst I have sympathy with our clients, our developer clients for that, I can also see where it's coming from, from a, from a telecoms viewpoint. Yeah, it's also interesting because that exact point where landowners were being slightly difficult in the allowing operators onto land has also been tested at the tribunal and essentially there were slapped wrists and cost consequences for the landowner. So again, whilst we would need to consider the extent of the request from the operator, I think the advice from the tribunal is do not be bringing unreasonable behaviour and wasting the tribunal's time in arguing these points just for no real reason whatsoever. One other case which is of also interest and one of the downfalls of the new code for our landlord clients is a case called EE Limited and Hutchison 3G versus the London Borough of Islington. Mm -hmm. And one of the new provisions of the code relates to valuation and compensation. In the past, under the old code, having telecoms equipment on your roof, etc., could be quite lucrative. Sadly, now, under the new code, that is not the case, and landowners are getting pennies, really, in comparison to what they used to be able to get to have that equipment on their buildings. Right. So, something for our landlord clients to be aware of. Okay. That's been disappointing for a few of our sort of rural clients as well, who who used to be able to use their land to quite lucrative means. But yes, now, as Anna says, it's, it's a lot less money involved in it. So if you will forgive me, I'll just do two more uh, just to finish <laughs> off and won't keep you too much longer. But these are the most recent cases and one of those is going to the Supreme Court and that is the case of Cornerstone and Compton Beecham. Now I won't go through all the facts of that case and again if anybody wants to ask any further questions do get in touch but the brief summary of that decision 
um, from the tribunal is that a tribunal cannot impose an agreement on a landowner under the new code where the landowner is not in occupation of the site. And it's a question of fact and physical presence as to who is actually in occupation. And the tribunal said that if another operator is in occupation, then the operator will be the relevant occupier for code purposes and for entering into a new code agreement. Okay. And finally, you'll be pleased to know the case of Cornerstone and Ashlock. Back again. Yeah. And that said that in relation to the code and the 1954 Act, if there is a subsisting agreement, it clarified that the 18-month rule that we've talked about before does not apply and any renewal tenancy or termination of the code agreement that is currently in place is by the usual 1954 Act route. And that throws up as many questions as it does answers because whilst it has given clarity that we all know which notices to serve now, in terms of the actual practice of the renewal, for example, in relation to rent, as we've talked about, rent under the code and rent previously are quite different. So it'd be interesting to see, and perhaps more grounds for more case law, as to which rental values will go through into a renewal lease. Yeah. And watch this space. So talking of watching this space, what does the future hold? It sounds like possibly a bit more case law? I think we'll definitely be seeing more case law. I mean, as Anna said, there's more in the pipeline and going to appeal and um, there's still a load of areas of the code that need to be tested and I'm sure operators are keen to do so. So I think that will definitely be keeping Anna and myself busy over the next year or so. There's also the general um, improvement of... um, technology as well we've got the introduction of 5g which is quite a hot topic for everybody at the moment we're going to be seeing that being rolled out Um, we've had talks recently about it having a download time a thousand times faster than 4g so i'm sure anyone trying to download something is going to get very excited about that Um, and that's going to mean we need a greater number of connections and a a greater amount of equipment in order to deal with that so um, i think we'll definitely be be seeing developments in that sphere Um, i'm not a, a technical expert by any means but i understand that the 5g equipment operates very differently to 4G so we'll probably be seeing a move away from larger pieces of apparatus towards smaller structures being used um, possibly an existing street apparatus I've heard lampposts being mentioned as as one possible area although interestingly Anna you heard recently something a little different about 5G didn't you? Yes so I went to a talk and possibly those bits of equipment for 5G could be larger and taller so I think (laughs) it's all a bit up in the air but I think as we mentioned earlier it will come under the upgrading and query what does that actually mean in practice so I definitely think it is an area where we will see I think it'll be really interesting to see what kind of applications are being made to to increase and improve equipment actually so I expect we'll have a a plethora of those applications coming in in due course as and when that gets ready to roll out Um, there's also some new proposed legislation in the pipeline um, the catchy name telecoms infrastructure leasehold property bill um, which had its second reading earlier this year Uh, and uh, it's uh, aimed towards residential leasehold premises where landlords aren't um, responding or being particularly cooperative so the aim is to give Operators greater rights via the tribunal um, to procure the provisions of their electronic apparatus. Um, I've also heard actually, Louise, that that could possibly be extended as well to offices and other buildings in due course. So again, that would have wider implications and it would be very good for operators, but again, not one 
that's great for our landlord clients, but again, perhaps implies that if you do get any correspondence from an operator, you can't just ignore it anymore. Right. It is best to deal with it yeah. head on. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so just to bring us to an end, I thought I would ask you both for your five doesn't actually have to be five, but your <laughs> but your top we'll do tips. Our best, really. Yeah, <laughs> try and reach five. Your top tips for clients dealing with um, telecoms operators. So I think one of the first things I'd say is that if you are redeveloping or doing a new build, um, try to think about connectivity and telecoms at an early stage. Um, I've obviously mentioned 5G before, but just trying to kind of future-proof your building and deal with that as soon as possible is a really good idea. If you can get equipment through the central core of a building, that will make life easier rather than having lots of routes going through different demises, which is what we see in existing buildings and can cause complications with lots of different risers and yeah. wave agreements. Um, we had a talk here by Wired School recently, who are a digital connectivity assessor um, which was really interesting and again talked about the fact that they can have input at a planning stage on developments in order to address how connectivity could best work and how to deal with 5G so I think for developers that's worth considering up front if they can. And linked to that I would say if you do get any correspondence from an operator do deal with it straight away and think about whether it is worth fighting because as mentioned earlier there can be cost consequences if you fight unnecessarily and also you know whilst it's not ideal for landowners to now be receiving significantly lower rents these communications just cannot be ignored so you know let's deal with it head on and hopefully you know operators are to the extent possible trying to be reasonable as well and yeah. understand that the code has enforced certain provisions on landowners which yeah, nobody definitely. envisaged so if you can strike up a sensible conversation with the operator as early as possible then that could be advantageous yeah yeah, definitely. And leading on from that, again with developments, if you can try to agree a form of way leave with your operator, um, sort of pick one or two that you know you'd want to provide your building, because again, they're very happy to try and get an agreed form that can be rolled out. It's, you know, it's incredibly frustrating for tenants when they want to get in and get their businesses up and running to find that lawyers are spending months negotiating what looks like it should be a very simple way leave agreement for some from telecoms connectivity. So if you can try and have a good relationship, as Anna says, with those operators, get a standardised form of way leave agreed that tenants can and then input into I think that just really helps everybody with time and cost I mean advantageous to everybody then isn't it because Absolutely. those operators know that you know they're more likely to be used in the building exactly the tenants they're desperate to get into the space and for landlords it's just making life a lot easier yeah it's win-win really if you can get it going and quite a few of our clients have done that and very successfully so yeah that would definitely be my, my third top tip I think I think linked to that, again, keeping that conversation going in a deep redevelopment situation, again, whilst, I suppose, for a landlord, get your ducks in a row as early as possible to avoid having to fight matters to the tribunal and again engage with the operator because as you've just said Mary there is a chance that in that redeveloped scheme the operator can possibly come back in yeah. and there is a conversation to be had so if you are planning to terminate get everything ready we know now that it's for example on a redevelopment scheme it's linked to Grand F 1954 at redevelopment so hopefully it's not adding too much of an additional burden for landlord clients but get everything ready and yeah ready to present to the operators at be the prepared absolutely <laughs> absolutely 
Um, and finally, I think I just um, try to remind clients not to forget the kind of maximum possible delay under the new code that they might have in, in getting waive agreements brought to an end and getting operators' equipment removed. Um, we've talked about obviously the 18 months notice that now has to be given no matter what the ground for termination is, but that just brings the way leave to an end. You then still need to serve notice to get the actual equipment removed from your site. Um, the code just talks about a reasonable time frame. Um, so obviously we put suggested time frames into our agreements, but on top of that, if they don't then comply, you would have to apply to the tribunal. Um, operators get quite sensitive about having their equipment removed by us, uh, by the landowner, because it's obviously quite delicate. So yeah. I would just say to any client, just try to factor in the kind of worst possible scenario time frame into a development um, and try and speak to operators as soon as possible if you think you are going to want to get things removed you know deals can be done equipment can be moved and then moved back so the more you think about it ahead of time and engage and, and speak to us to see how we can help you in terms of serving notices and, and working out time frames for you the better really yeah great is that is that five Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> well, thank you both so much uh, for joining me today and making what is a very technical topic um, far more accessible, I think. So, well, well, done. Done. Well, thank, yeah. you. thank you very much. <laughs> very much. And if listeners would like to, to uh, tune in to any of our other More Than Law podcasts, you can find them on um, Apple Podcasts. Spotify, SoundCloud, I think we're pretty much everywhere. Um, you can also uh, find us through our website, forsters.co.uk, and all the usual social media feeds. Uh, I think we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Have I got everything? I don't think we've got a TikTok channel yet, but you never know. Okay, and until next time, goodbye. Podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The Model Law Podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced or quoted, whether in whole or part, without Forster's LLP's prior written